before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest and dear friend, Dave Hay of Evergreen Gavkel and the new Haymaker Substack. Dave and I have known each other for almost 15 years and I have found him to be one of the most thoughtful, pragmatic and insightful managers that I've had the good fortune to encounter over that period. With the world getting crazy by the day, it seemed like the perfect time to get some exposure to a market view that's steeped in experience. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and the new series Chaos Theory is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show, and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. Dave, mate, it's so good to see you and a real pleasure to have you join me on the podcast. How are you? Well, I'm doing great, Grant, but I'm not as good as you because you're in all heaven right now. And I'm incredibly jealous. I would love to be there with you. I am absolutely in golf heaven. Scotland is the place to be if you're a golfer. As you know, it's uh, it's fantastic, especially this time of the year. And even though the weather is kind of average, it beats the kind of weather you get most other places. So I'll take it. Mate, there is so much to talk about. You know, you and I talk periodically and, and we kind of compare notes and we sit there, both of us scratching our heads. And we've been joined in recent weeks by a series of kind of high-profile investors. We've seen Michael Burry, short the hell out of the S&P and the, and the QQQs, which got a lot of headlines. And one of my investment heroes, I know someone you hold in great stead, Seth Klarman, also called this one of the most confusing times he's seen in his career. You know, I know you pay attention to just about everything, and I know you sit for hours thinking about it all, trying to work it out. Give me a sense of the tug of war in your head, because I know there's one going on there about the data and the likely reality that, that lies underneath it. Because we can kick this around all night, you know, there's so many different parts that we can pull apart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the Klarman uh, quote because I think that sums it up. And it kind of reminds me of what Edward R. Murrow, the famous journalist, said decades ago that anybody who isn't confused doesn't understand the situation. Right. And I think that's very applicable to today. But I think part of the problem is that, especially for, you know, the newer people in our business, and by new, I mean, you know, the last 15 years, they've really never seen the lead up to a real recession. You can't count COVID, though I think we were actually going into one, but it just, you know, that accelerated everything. And so it, you know, what would normally happen in a, in a year happened in a month. And you didn't have the, the kinds of situation we have right now, the type of situation where it's really kind of a slow motion evolution into recession. And I think the slowness of it at least in terms of the official data, is what's throwing a lot of people. But not that different, really, than it was back in 06, 07, which I you know, vividly remember. And you, know, you had the S&P that made a new all-time high in October of 2007, and then the official arbiter of recessions, the MBER, went back and said that we were actually in recession in December of 07. And yet, 
things seemed fine at that time. The economy was actually humming along, apparently. So that's one of the problems with when you're looking at contemporaneous data is that it can often be misleading and it's so often revised downward. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. In fact, today we're talking on a day when this, this big downward revisions to payrolls has happened. It's uh, even some of the people that tend to have a pretty optimistic uh, take on the economy are, are surprised by that, but they shouldn't be. And in fact, even before this, uh, one of the points that I that I made uh, in a podcast yesterday is that uh, non-farm payrolls have been revised downward already for six consecutive months. And the other thing that I, you know, when people say, oh, you know, you've been talking about recession for a while, but we have a profits recession already on our hands. We've got an industrial transportation recession on our hands. We've got a government tax revenue recession on our hands. And we've got a GDI, as in gross domestic income, recession on our hands. You know, that's that's quite a bit of, of, of data and, and um, you know, trends that are, that are going against the, the consensus view. Because, as you know, the consensus is quite convinced that we're not going to have a recession anytime soon. Uh, they're also concerned, uh, convinced that uh, the inflation numbers are, are going to continue to be very soft and, and encouraging and downward trending. And I think both of those are, you know, at risk. But I especially believe that, unlike the consensus, that the odds of a recession instead of going down every day are actually going up every day. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the signposts for that because I'm in your camp for sure, and really. If you just think about what's going on, forget the data, you just look around you at the world and look around at the stresses and the strains that you're seeing, particularly in this rate environment where, if nothing else mattered, the fact that so many mortgage payments are increasing, the fact that so many car payments are increasing, these are kind of the basics that people need. Food, shelter, and energy are through the roof. It just doesn't seem to make sense at face value that the economy will be humming along just fine. But talk about some of the signs you've seen in the data that suggest that, that a recession is more likely than not? Well, I think it really boils down to which data set you're looking at. Because if you look at uh, the you know the coincident data, it, it still looks pretty good. But again, that's typical. Where you really see a problem in the data is all the leading indicators. I mean, the leading economic indicators are down 16 straight months. Why are they called leading economic indicators? Because they lead. I mean, I, I think that should be worthy of intense focus. I think the yield curve uh, and I know a lot of people are blowing off the yield curve, as, as they always do. I mean, that's another thing that I remember vividly from 06, 07, is don't worry about the inverted yield curve because it's happening at what was perceived to be a low level of interest rates. But it, the reality is its track record is flawless, at least when it's deeply inverted and it's been inverted for a considerable period of time, which is clearly the case this time. And there's just so many data points that only playing out the way they're playing out right now, right on the cusp of a recession. I think it, it, frankly, it's either heroic or, or reckless or naive to believe that this time is going to be different in that regard. Is you know, the stimulus is still in the system. I mean, I think that's what's delayed it is that all that fake money that was created when we were basically doing MMT during the lockdowns, that money did stay in the system and has been, you know, I think that's been definitely supporting economic activity at a time when it perhaps should have normally tipped into recession. But we've seen data points, we've seen some really shaky company reporting in the last uh, couple of weeks from the likes of Walmart, from the likes of FedEx, UPS, you know, all these kind of bellwethers of the economy. And it's just getting ignored by people. You know, people are just happy to kind of make excuses for that as though it doesn't really matter. I'm just bewildered by that because these are the foundational companies that really give you a sense of the underlying economy. Why do you think people are so keen to just ignore them? 
Well, I think, first of all, I want to just to reiterate what you said. You mentioned FedEx and UPS, and I think those two are particularly important to look at. And what I think I don't really hear anybody talking about, but it's just a fact, is that their revenues are falling for the first time since the Great Recession. That should be an eye-opener, but it's not. And, and of course, that's that's not even adjusting for inflation, because if you took if you looked at real revenues, it would be even worse. And that's one of the gripes I have is when you look at some of these numbers that you know look superficially robust, like Walmart, you know, that was a little bit better. It was like six percent, but you know, how much of that's just inflation? And then you look at companies like Lowe's, which you know is out today with some pretty cautionary comments. And uh, you know, you mentioned Walmart and uh, you know, while that number looked okay, they basically said the consumer is is not doing well. The consumer is pressured, and they're trading down from higher price goods to lower price goods, which is something that we're hearing pretty uh, repeatedly. And even some of you know, some people are talking about the rich recession, and that the you know that the high end is struggling quite a bit right now, which some of the luxury uh, branded makers uh, are actually you know they're reporting that as well, and even in the United States and. And then, of course, you've got the Chinese economy, which is a mess. And the latest data out of Europe was soft. And I guess it just depends on where you want to look. But as, as we know, Wall Street has such a, a bullish bias. It just so consistently wants to put a positive spin on things. And I mean, today, which there is a little bit of a flurry of weak economic data between the ISM numbers, the services number, which was softer than expected, and, and the job provisions that we talked about, the market's up. And, you know, you can say, well, that's because interest rates are down. And so that's a really fascinating thing to talk about, because I think that's what really could be very different this time, because normally when you go into a recession, the long term treasury rates come down. But as you're aware, and, and I know you, you track Luke Groman and he's done tremendous amounts of uh, brilliant work on this topic, we could be in a situation where interest rates actually, at least at the long end of the treasury curve, rise in a recession. And what he's been citing, as I have been citing, is you know what could cause that would be uh, just an onslaught of new supply. And as you're aware, the Treasury recently, at the same time that Fitch downgraded the U.S., the Treasury increased its issuance uh, for the second half of the year to 1.85 trillion. You know, a truly staggering amount of money in six months. And what's amazing is it's happening at a time when unemployment is three and a half percent supposedly. And I say supposedly because I think there are real questions: is unemployment really that low? For some of the reasons we talked about but that would be really a shocker if we did see the treasury rates go up at a time of weakening economic activity and i think that's a distinct possibility i mean you just have to wonder what where will that federal deficit go in the next recession given how high it is i mean it's basically at a wartime level you know eight percent type of uh you know deficit of gdp that's just it's totally unprecedented outside of world war ii well, I'm glad you brought up that 1.85 trillion of new issuance in the second half of this year because, you know, when I saw that number, I was absolutely astounded that it really barely seemed to get much of a mention. You know, if you, if you were looking in places that really focus on this stuff, it was certainly causing some raised eyebrows. But mainstream media, most of the news outlets, it just the number came and went and it didn't really seem to merit much commentary. But Talk a little bit about why that number is so important and what that issuance is liable to do to markets because you can't do that without the effect being felt elsewhere and the places that effect is going to be felt is really not going to be helpful to any of this. Right, I mean, you were already talking about some of these interest rate hits that consumers are facing because of the, the rates where they are already. 
And yet that hasn't fully hit yet because there is definitely a lag in terms of when the rates go up substantially before it starts hitting things like you mentioned auto payments. Now America's lucky because uh, for the most part our mortgage payments are fixed. Whereas in other countries it's uh, it's hitting much harder and faster, but it's still going to hit here. And David Rosenberg has made the point that The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.